0: you joined us midweek service, uh, you know we started 1 John. Uh, we took chapter 1. Um, so hopefully you, you joined us there. Uh, if not, no worries. We'll we'll kind of do a quick read through of 1 John and uh, do a little review before we get into second uh, the second chapter of 1 John. Um, so if you have your Bible, open them up to 1 John. It's all almost all the way at the end of the New Testament there. Um, before you get into Jude or Revelation, you'll, you'll hit 1 John. And we'll... We'll take a look at that this morning. So if you joined us on midweek, uh, you'll just kind of get a review and refresh your memory of what you learned there. So, First John's a great book. Uh, kind of jumps around a little bit. Uh, you'll kind of see that, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll catch the theme and catch the message that he's uh, trying to get across to us. So before we get into that, though, let's pray, huh, before we get into the Word. Father, we do uh, thank you for this morning, as always, we thank you for this time and uh, just the ability, the freedom, Lord, to be able to get together and uh, worship you in song and in praise and worship you in the study of your word, Lord. And uh, we pray this morning as we're, we're going through the, the book of First John, Lord, that you would just speak to us, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts, uh, renew our minds, help us to, to think like you and understand like you do, Lord, and uh, just teach us this morning, we pray. Christ in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so chapter 1 in 1 John, uh, you'll see there in verse 1, he says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled, concerning the word of life. And we covered that about how Jesus is the Son of God. He is God in the flesh. And that's the message that John's getting across to us here, because at this time, there were people challenging that. Even there's people challenging that these days. Uh, that truth that Jesus is the Son of God, and that He's God in the flesh, that He came from heaven. He came before time and space and the universe even was. Right there, in the beginning, that which was from the beginning, before God even created, God was. Right. Remember when He met Moses, and you know He referred to Himself as just "I am." He always was. He's never not existed it's hard for us to comprehend that and really wrap our minds around that because we're created beings. Everything we know and see is created. I'm created, you're created, everything around us is created. I created that. I built that. <laughs> you know, it's like you know everything's created. You're just like hard to understand that someone, a being, always existed and ever will exist, right? The beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega it always was, you know, and that's what we covered, how uh, Jesus is the son of God and he came in the flesh. You know, there was these gnostics at the time running around which was a Spiritual group out there, I guess like a, a false religion at the time, and they were saying that he didn't come in the flesh. That he was, a, you know, the flesh and the spirit are separate and he was just some kind of phantom. Just kind of some kind of phantom running around. And John's like, no. He's like, we, we heard him. We, we saw him. He's like, we looked upon him. He's like, we handled him. You know, you read the account of the Last Supper, he was leaning on him, right? That Jesus washed their feet. You know, that was a real thing that really happened. You know, there was physical contact. You know, he had a real body. And he was getting that across to us. And he goes on in verse 2, he says, The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. And that's why he came. Jesus came to give us eternal life. He created the world, but the world fell into sin. And immediately when it did, he created the solution. He knew the solution. That was to send his Son into the world, his created world, to take on human flesh and to die for our sins. To be that price for our sins, the propitiation for our sins, and we'll cover that later. But that's why he came, was to give us eternal life. And he says, That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And he wants us to be saved. God came so we can be saved, so that we can have fellowship with Him, and that we can have fellowship with each other. That's what it's about. It's about people. It's about God. Everything else is going to go away. You know, our houses, our cars, careers, whatever. It's all going to go away. You know, but what's going to last forever is God and you and me. We're eternal beings. We have eternal souls that are going to live forever. Whether we'll live forever with God or we'll be, you know, in hell, separated from God, that's up to mankind. And they all have that choice. But we're going to be there with God because we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And that's what will always go on. That's what's going to go on in the next world. We're going to live forever with God. And he says that we're in fellowship with him and with fellowship with each other. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. And there's something we should rejoice in. The fact that we're saved. The fact that God came for us and died for us and provided a way for us to be with him in heaven. We should rejoice in that. We should be excited about that. That this isn't the end. When you look at the news, when you click on the news and you get all bummed out and you're like, man, this is miserable, you know. You can remind yourself, this isn't it. <laughs> there's more to life than this, right? This is not the end at all. You know, there's more. When this goes away, we'll be in paradise. There'll be a new heavens, a new earth, and we're going to be there with God. And we can rejoice in that fact. And we can be excited about that. I'm excited about that. That's what keeps me going. <laughs> like if this is all there was, I'd just stay in my bed and I'd never get up. I'd be like, yeah. You know, I'd be like, just, yeah. But thank God that's not it. Verse 5, he says, This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ his son cleanses us from all sin. So not only do we have this fellowship with each other once we're saved, and we have this joy, uh, but we should also walk with Right? It's a good indicator that you are a saved individual, is that if you're walking in the light and you're not in darkness, that you're doing the right thing, you're living the right way. You know, we covered that uh, on the midweek service there. So he says, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our so- give us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Uh, so you can really take this both ways, and we talked about this as well, how if you're a non-believer and you're looking into things, and what he's saying is that you're a sinner and you need to admit that you're a sinner. In order to be saved, you have to acknowledge that you're a sinner. You have to come to that understanding you know, in order to be saved. You've got to know what you're being saved from. Right? That's what we're being saved from. It's from sin, which leads to death. Jesus came so that he can pay for that sin so that we can now live and have eternal life. So you've got to know what you're being saved from. You know, that was one of the biggest challenges for me that's what took so long for me to get i didn't saved until i was 22 but i was raised up in you know a catholic church i was raised up in a religious family so i knew of jesus and so on but um i never thought i was a sinner i thought i was a good man <laughs> good catholic boy uh, i just like to go have fun once in a while right you know and that's how i looked at it that's how i understood it and it wasn't until i was 22 21 22 that I did realize for the first time that I was the problem, quit blaming other people. I was like, man, I would just my life would be right if they just stopped messing with me. You know, <laughs> like things would be okay if they just left me. You know, it's like if I just didn't live there, if I moved here, right? You know, and I finally came to the understanding that no, it wasn't them or where I lived. Uh, I was the problem. You know, and that's when I finally got saved when God finally got a hold of me. And we all have to come to that point at some point. But even after you get saved, you still sin, and that's what he's getting across. He's like, even if you still sin. He's like, you know, you still got to confess your sin. you still got to maintain that relationship with God. Even though you've been forgiven of your sins past, present, and future, we still do sin in the present. We still are going to sin in the future. We're going to make mistakes as believers. You know, I have. Been 15, 16 years, I mean, since I've been saved, I've committed a lot of mistakes. And I, I still acknowledge them to God and thank him for his forgiveness. And that's what it's about, saying, man, I messed up. God, thanks for forgiving me, you know, and God's ready to pick you up and just keep on going. You know, that's that relationship, you know. Uh, the example I kind of used is right the marriage relationship we have with our, you know, husbands and wives, right? You know, when you go to the the altar and you look at each other in your eyes, you're like, I love you and you love me, right? Let's get married, right? And then you, sometimes the husband thinks, well, that's it. I told her I loved her. I never got to tell her again, you know. <laughs> she knows. Like, no, you got to tell her again, you <laughs> know. You've got to maintain that relationship. You need to encourage her and let her know, hey, I still love you, right? They need to hear it. And the uh, same thing with God, right? It's like, yeah, you know, sometimes we can think, well, I said I'm sorry once. You know, when I got saved, I said I was sorry, and that's it. Like, no, you still got to maintain that relationship. You've still got to acknowledge when you sin and when you make mistakes. And, and that's how you maintain that relationship. And it's just really, you know, hey, I'm sorry, and thank you for forgiving me, right? Because you are forgiven. It's not, not a question that you're not forgiven when you're born again. But it's just maintaining that relationship. So chapter two, he goes on, he says, my little children, and this is how John likes to refer to us, and really, so he's really speaking to his audience here, so who he's writing the letter to, often you'll see him say, my little children, and he's really just a way of him saying everyone, right, we're all sons and daughters of of God, as believers, and, and my little children, you know, so part of the family, and he's addressing all of us, he's saying, these things I write to you, so that you may not sin, and if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the Righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. You know, and he is our advocate. You know, it says in the scriptures, the devil's our accuser. You know, but Jesus is our advocate. So you kind of get this picture in heaven, you know, before the throne of God. You have Satan there accusing you, saying, you know, look at these wretched sinners, and they should all die. And then Jesus is over there saying, no, I died for them, so they, they should live, right? So you have this battle going on. He's almost like our lawyer, in a sense. You know, so it's good to know Jesus is on our side. And that he's our advocate. But also he's our propitiation. And this is a fancy word, and it's a good word. It's one we should all know and be be aware of. But it means that he, Jesus, satisfied God's righteous demands, right? He took our place, is really essentially what it what it means, that we've been forgiven. He took the punishment for us. And that's what took place on that cross. Because, yes, God is a merciful God, He's a gracious God. But he's also a just God. And justice needs to be done. So either you pay for your sins or Jesus pays for your sins. And that's how it works. And as a believer, when we put our faith and trust in him, he is the propitiation for our sins, which means he took our place. He took the punishment for us. That's what happened. And you know, when you read the account of the, the cross and you know, everything went dark and he's like, God, why have you forsaken me? And that's really the moment that you know, he became sin for us. You know, he took the punishment for us and that's what it's about and that's the propitiation and not just for us but for the whole world everybody can be saved everybody has an opportunity everybody can put their faith in Jesus and that's exactly what God wants that's exactly what the apostle John wants that's what I want I want everybody to be saved God wants everybody to go to heaven when you read the scriptures you actually realize that God didn't create hell for man man was never intended to go there hell was created for Satan and the fallen angels the ones that rebelled that's why he created it but they got, you know, Satan got Adam and Eve to fall and now men are gonna be going there as well. But he doesn't want that to have. He never wanted that to have. It wasn't part of the original creation. He wants everybody to be saved. He provided a way for everybody to be saved. And hopefully everybody does get saved. Unfortunately, we know not everybody does, but that is the desire. It's God's desire, it's my desire. Like he says in the scriptures, whosoever believes can be saved. And he goes on in verse three, he says, Now by this we know that we know him. If we keep his commandments, he who says, I know him, meaning God, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. And the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. Now, John's very you know, black or white, right? You know, it's like, is it light or it's darkness? It's, it's either a lie or the truth, you know? And you'll see that as we go through First John. And what he's saying here is if we are professing to be followers of Jesus Christ, right? He says, he who says, I know him. So if you're saying, I know him, and I'm saying, I know him, we ought also to walk and keep his commandments, right? That's what he's saying. So if you're not keeping his commandments, he's saying, well, you're a liar. The truth is not in him. So he's very, you know, very high standards, right? Now, this is the word of God, and God has very high standards. No one can keep these highest standards, right? Only Jesus Christ is perfect. So it's not putting that expectation out there. We all make mistakes. Obviously, in verse 1 and 2 here that we just read in chapter 2, it's implied that we're going to sin, right? He's saying, you know, I wrote this so that you don't sin, uh, but if anyone does sin, you have an advocate Jesus, right? So he's, he's saying there's an expectation that's implied that, yeah, he knows we're going to make mistakes. He knows we're going to mess up. So when you read verses 3 through 6, he kind of sounds like a you know, very high standard that you know, everybody must keep, but he's not, that's not the message he's getting across here. He knows we're going to make mistakes. God knows we're going to make mistakes. You know, The question is not so much making mistakes, but living in habitual sin. That's really what the question is. All of us are going to stumble at times. All of us are going to make mistakes at times. Um, but the question is, are these sins like habitual in our lives? Like are there certain sins that really got a hold of us or that we're really living in uh, and that we don't ever want to stop, You know, then that's when the question comes up. Are we really saved? Are we really following Jesus? Because, I mean, if you're holding on to certain sins and you don't see anything wrong with them and the scripture's clearly teaching that those are sinful behaviors and you shouldn't be doing them, then there's a disconnect there. And that's what he's getting across. Because we're all going to stumble at times. That's just part of the process of sanctification. you know. But we should all be obedient to God's word. And we should all be seeking to live according to his commands. Now, verse 7, he goes on, he says, Brethren, and you're going to see a little bit of a word play here, he says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. I don't know about you, but I had to read this a few times through. <laughs> you're like, what? Old commandment, new commandment, new commandment, old. You know, you're like, well, what's he trying to get across here? So hopefully we can clarify. So an old commandment, so he goes on, he says, so we'll go back to verse 7. Brethren, I, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment, which you had from the beginning. So what commandment did he have from the beginning? Well, we get the answer in Second John. You don't need to turn there. If you, if you want to turn there, you can turn there. In 2 John, verses 5 through 6, he actually answers this question for us, what the old commandment is. He says, Now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment to you, but that which we had from the beginning, which is that we love one another. That's the old commandment that he's referring to, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that, as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. So he answers the question for us, what's the old commandment that you should love one another? So that's pretty clear. In the Old Testament, we are commanded to love one another. Even Leviticus 19:18 it says, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You know, oftentimes God gets falsely accused of being this harsh God in the Old Testament, right? This wrathful God that just wants to, you know, drop fire on people and stuff, you know, and, this is not true. You read the scriptures. God's always a God of love, and, and you see that throughout the Old Testament. You see it through the New Testament. Um, even there, Leviticus 19, we just read, "You know, love your neighbor." I am the Lord. Now, the new commandment. This is a, this commandment. He's going on. He's saying, you know, the old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which thing is true in Him and in you. So, this new commandment, He's not really saying that it's new in time. Like it's something new in time, but it's new in quality. It's really the best way to understand these scriptures here. Because this commandment is it's, it's something that Jesus emphasized. You know, when Jesus came, he really emphasized love in a way that's new in that sense. Uh, even in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself, and on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So this really sums it all up, he's saying. You know? And really, Jesus came and put an emphasis on this love that we should have for God and for others in a new way. So in that sense, it's an old commandment, but yet it's a new commandment. Hopefully that makes sense. He also says you know, he, he lived an example for us. right? Jesus, when he came, he not only emphasized love, but he lived it. He lived an example of unconditional love for us, right? He always thought of others. He was others-oriented, it was always about others. It was always about what God's will was and about the people. He lived for them. He didn't live for this world, you know. He was a, you know if we saw him walk around today, he would have been a homeless man that had nowhere to lay his head down, you know. And he had no money, no retirement plan, no nothing, you know. He just wandered around. But he gave his life for us, you know. So he lived this, lived this life of love for you and for me as an example. And also the Holy Spirit empowers us in a new way, in this new commandment, right? The Old Testament, like when you read the Old Testament law, there was no indwelling of the Spirit. The Spirit would come upon people. Like you read about King David when he, when he became king, right? The Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him. Um, but you also saw that with King Saul. The Holy Spirit came upon him, but the Holy Spirit left him. So it was a different relationship. So even now in this new relationship where we are walking in with Jesus, we're also indwelled, you know, with the Holy Spirit. And he empowers us to be able to love like God loves. So in that sense, it's a new commandment as well. We also have the ability to fulfill this new commandment where we can love the way God loves. You know, verse eight, it says, In him and in you. You know, it talks about how we're now indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one that gives us the ability and helps us to love like God does. And it's this agape love is what he's referring to here. It's this spiritual love that we can only have through being born again and through understanding and knowing who God is. Because there's different kinds of love. We, we have a word, we have one word to describe all kinds of different kinds of love. It gets a little confusing sometimes. In the English language, we just say love. But other languages, they have multiple words to describe different kinds of love, especially in the Greek. In the Greek, there's several different words that describe love, and that's where we get our, I mean, the scriptures were originally written in Greek, and then we translate in English, and we just say love everywhere. You know but there's different types of love right right we love god i love my wife and i love hot dogs do, do do i do i love hot dogs as much as i love god well obviously not right you know i love sports i love football i love that you know we, we just throw this word love around you know i just love 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 you know love everything and but but obviously there's a different meaning to it right i love this person more than I love that, or you know, or I love this thing more than that, or you know, and you, there's a different meaning to it. And when you understand the Greek, you know, you have eros, and you have phileo, and you have agape, you have these different Greek words that mean different things. You know, eros is really the erotic, you know, love that's to be within a man and a woman within a marriage relationship. But then there's also phileo, which is a brotherly love that we have, where we should love our brothers, you know? And uh, it's a different kind of love, right? I love my brothers in Christ, but it's not the same way I love my wife. You know, there's a difference there. You know, but then there's this agape love, and that's what he's really talking about here, is this agape love that's this spiritual love that just surpasses all understanding, and it's unconditional. Right? God loves us even when we were still sinners. He died for us. right? And we're to love our enemies. How in the world can you love your enemies? right? How, how can you do that in your flesh? You won't be able to do that in your flesh. You'll be able to do it in the spirit, though. You'll be able to do it when you're empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to love your enemies because really it's an attitude of the mind is what you get down to because you're not always going to have fond feelings of affection and emotion for your enemies right? and that's not the kind of love he's talking about it's just this unconditional love that even regards of how they treat me regards of what they accuse me of or they mock me or they laugh at me I'm still going to love them I'm still going to show love I'm still going to care for them right? I'm still going to give them water I'm still going to give them food if they're hungry right? I'm still going to Treat them respectfully, even though they're my enemies, right? It doesn't change the fact that we're enemies, but I'm supposed to love them, right, unconditionally. And that's what God is talking about, this type of love uh, that we had from the beginning, that we have now, that Jesus put a new emphasis on. um, And that's the love that we should have and that we can have now because we can be indwelled by the Holy Spirit and empowered by the Holy Spirit in order to love in that way. Wasn't always the case, but now since Jesus has come, you know, it's it's a new relationship, it's a new covenant, and you have that new new ability. So he goes on in verse nine, he says, He he who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He's kind of defining this love relationship a little more for us. He says, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So you see the contrast again, you know, light and love versus darkness and hate. You know, so you see these very strong contrasts as John goes through, right? Liar and truth, you know, and he really gets into it. He really doesn't, doesn't give you much wiggle room, you know. But we are, as, as Christians, we are to walk in the light and we are to love, right? Hate is the way of the world, right? They, they're in darkness. And they hate, and they're angry, and that's just how it is. That's the way of the world. Now, he says here, if we choose not to love, right, because we can choose not to love. If we don't want to be loving individuals, even after we get saved, we can still choose that. There are some consequences. He says the first consequence there in verse 10, he says, if you choose not to love, he who loves his brother abides in the light, right? And there's no cause for stumbling in him. So if you don't choose to love your brother, there will be a cause for stumbling. You're going to stumble yourself. You might stumble others. So if you choose not to love, you're going to stumble. You're going to make mistakes. Also, he says there in verse 11, that you're not going to know where you're going. Right? If you're not in love and you're walking in hate, you're going to be blinded. That's the other thing he says. You'll be blinded by this hate. You're going to be stumbling around. You're going to be blinded. You're not going to know where you're going. It's going to really throw your relationship off with God, number one, that you're not loving your brother. But it's also going to throw your relationship off with each other. It's going to cause friction. It's going to cause problems. So there's consequences for our decisions. We have to choose to love, and if we choose not to love, then you know there's some consequences for that. Things will happen. And many in the world are blinded by hate, right? This is the way the world works. The world is walking in darkness, and they're blinded by this hate. We see that a lot out there, unfortunately, today in our country. Um, sad, but true. And we don't want to go down that path with them. We don't want to go down that path of hate. We don't want to be on that broad road you know, that they're on. Jesus says to love even our enemies. We just talked about that. And we should all start by learning how to love our brother, right? And that's the key to remember, too. See, if you're just saved and, and you're figuring things out, don't jump into how you're going to love your enemies right away. <laughs> figure out how to love your brother first. That's, you know, it's a little easier, right? Figure out how to love your brothers first and then kind of progress to, okay, how can I love my enemies? Right? and that's really what I believe he's getting across here because once we get the hang of that you know, then we can ask God, okay, help me to love my enemies you know, I mean, if you're just struggling to love your brother right now you're, there's no way you're going to be able to love your enemies you know one step at a time kind of a thing because brotherly we love, I mean you know, we may not always agree that's the other thing to keep in mind just the fact that we're saved unites us, yeah and we are to love each other, but we've got to understand too, we might not always agree on things we might like different things, right? Some like sports, some don't like sports. Some like certain foods. Some other like, you know, you don't like certain foods, right? Uh, different hobbies, you know, right? We're, we're, we're different, different backgrounds, different nationalities. Some of us speak different languages, right? It's, and that's okay, right? There's diversity in that, and that's okay, that's a good thing. Uh, what unites us is the fact that we're all saved, that we're all indwelled by the Holy Spirit and we have that unity automatically, right? When you get saved, we're all united under that truth. It talks about that in the scripture that we're to hold on to that unity. It doesn't say you have to get it. It says you have to hold on to it. Because once you get saved and you're part of this body of Christ, Satan comes and tries to divide and cause disunity and cause problems. You know, And that's where Satan comes and attacks us. We're to hold on to the unity. Try to hold on to what keeps us united, which is the fundamentals of the faith and the truths that we all, all share. Um, but we have differences and that's okay. Some of us like different kinds of music, some of us like different kinds of foods, and and that's all right, you know my wife and I I, mean, I don't like avocados and she loves them you know and that's okay. I don't hold that against her you, know? <laughs> you know? and I like onions and she doesn't right and she don't hold that against me, so you know you figure things out there's grace, you know so Love your brothers. Then he goes on here and he says, and this is kind of interesting as well, he really addresses again in verse 12, he says, I write to you little children, and again, that's how he uses it to really address everybody. I write to you little children, and we'll see he goes into more detail with fathers and young men. Some kind of categorizes different and say that he's really speaking to different groups or different maturity levels, and you know that may be however you want to perceive it, but it seems pretty clear that he's writing to all. He says, I write to you little children. And then kind of goes in more specific. He says, Because your sins are forgiven for you for your name for his name's sake. I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the Father. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. And I have written to you young men because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. You know, little children, again, I mean, this is, you know, based on this, John apparently is addressing all believers, but again, he does get specific, he talks about fathers and young men, and the message does certainly seem to apply to all, because he's just kind of reassuring people, he's like, your sins are forgiven, you know the father, you've overcome the wicked one. Uh, the emphasis I really see and stands out to me is there, towards the end of verse 14, he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. Uh, the word of God abides in you, right? And this is really how I see this. this is an encouragement that we really know, need to know the word. Because how do you overcome the wicked one? It's through the word of God. You've got to know the scriptures. You've got to know the word of God. The word is our spiritual weapon. Ephesians 6.17 says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That's our weapons. Prayer is also our weapon. But when you're talking in spiritual terms, the sword of the spirit, the word of God, is our primary weapon. And we need to know it. Remember when Jesus was out there in the wilderness and Satan came at him and tried to tempt him? How did he come back at him? He came back with him the word, right? Over and over again. It is written. It is written. It is written. you got to know the scriptures because Satan's going to come against you. Did God really say? And you're going to have to be able to draw the memory from the scriptures. And like, no, he did say. I'm not supposed to do that. Or yes, I am supposed to do that, right? You've know? you got to be able to counteract uh, these lies from the enemy because they're going to come at you. The world's going to come at you. And that's what he goes into next. In verse 15, he says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, the world here has, in the scriptures, when you read about the world... I mean, we are warned not to love the world here. That's what he's given us here is a warning. Don't love the world. Well, you've got to define what he means by the world, because when you study the world in the scriptures, there's really about three different meanings. So there's the physical world, which God refers to from when he created, right? He created the world. In the beginning, God created, and he created the world. So you have this physical world. So you have the earth. You have the, the mountains, the oceans, right? And you have this natural beauty out there, right? And that's not a... A bad thing. It's actually, you know, a good thing to actually appreciate the natural beauty that's in the world. Right? We're in a fallen world. Things are not like they were, you know, but I could still enjoy a nice hike in the woods or you know, a nice swim in the river or you know, ocean or something. You know, I mean I'm not an ocean lover. I like the woods. I like the mountains. But if you like the ocean, that's that's up to you. But I'd rather go to the woods than the mountain lake. That's what I like. You know, that's relaxing to me. Um, and that's okay. That's good. Right? He's not saying that we have to hate that, you know, or not love that. You know, creation's a good thing. Also, he refers to the world in other parts of the scripture as as the human world, right? Mankind or people. You know, you read in John 3:16, he says, "For God so loved the world." Well, what world is he talking about? He's talking about people. He came for people. He came to save people. He came to save mankind. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. So, he, in this scripture, he's not talking about the creation. He's not talking about these people that God loved and we're supposed to love. What he is talking about is what we understand to be this evil spiritual system that is out there in the world. All right, this is the world that we're not to love. This is Satan's system on earth that pretty much opposes everything that is of God. You know, Jesus called Satan the prince of this world. It's pretty clear that he has. Forces He has kingdoms in this world that Satan is over and and using to deter anything that has to be of God. And when you look at the system, it involves Satan. It involves fallen angels that rebelled with him, that fell with him and came right here to earth. Unsaved people, whether they realize it or not, are part of this system. At any point in time, they can be used by Satan in the system because it's pretty clear in the scripture. Either you're a child of God or you're a child of Satan. You're either with God or you're not. I mean, it's, it's one or the other. You're saved or you're not saved. And if you're not saved, you're part of the system. They have values, they have goals, they have a, a purpose, right? and they're driven. And that's the system that you're up against, you know. And I was just talking this morning. We were having a conversation. Really, I mean, New York is a beautiful state. When you look at it, I love mountains. I love the oceans. I love the rivers. I love the four seasons. Yes, I love winter. I know we can differ on that, right? We can disagree on that. I love winter. Some may not. But I was even I lived in California for several years too, and California was a beautiful state. Beautiful. We'd go to Tahoe all the time, we go to Yosemite, we go hiking and things, you know. And they didn't have four seasons, but you know, they try to say they do, but really just too hot and wet. You know, that's about it. But you know. But it's a beautiful state, beautiful country. What ruins it for me and many is the system. It's this world system that just dominates and tries to impose their will and their values and their morality upon you, and punish you if you don't. You know, it's this weird world system that just ruins it. You're just like, man, you know, you're just like, can't I just enjoy this beautiful country? And they're like, no. You know, (laughs) and they just want to, you know, and and you feel it and you sense it. And You're just like, this is the world system, right? This is what it is, and you're up against it, and and there's like this barrier, and it's just, it's, it's there. You know, and Galatians even gives us a description of really what this world system produces. And when you talk about the flesh and things, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery and fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, which we just covered, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder. You know, the murder rates are just crazy. It's crazy to think that thousands of people are being murdered every year in this country, right, in all these big cities and things. Drunkenness, revelries, and the like, which I tell you before, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. You know, so, and that's not even a complete list. I mean, there's a whole, a whole bunch of other things that are going on in the world that are just horrible. And that's this world system, and that's what it produces, It's just this sinful world out there, right? And how can you love it? I don't know how any believer can go and look at this world system and say, this is wonderful. Look at all the murders. Look at all the destruction. Look at all the wars. Look at all the, you know, I mean, how can you look at it and love it? And that's what God's getting across to us. He's like, how can you look at this world system and and love it, right? He says, if you love this world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it's pretty clear. It's a very good indication. If you love this world, it's a pretty good indication that you're not saved. I and mean, if you love murder, you love envy, you love jealousies, you love covetousness, you love greed, you love all if you love all this stuff, then yeah, he's say then here's what he's saying there. He say, do not love the world for the things of the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And it's an indicator, you know. We're not to love the world, we're to love God. We're not to love the world, we're to love people. Right? Because the world's passing away. And that's what he gets, this is the point he's trying to get across to us. Then he goes into detail for, you know, verse 16 there. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and pride of life. So he really goes into detail on three key areas, right? And the lust of the flesh, right? What is this? Well, this is the sinful nature in man, right? When you were born, you were born physically, and you were born with a sinful nature. We all got born again, and then we received a new nature, but there's this sinful nature that's still there and we wrestle with. You can read Romans, it talks about that. And how you have this wrestle, this battle that goes on, where your flesh wants to do one thing, but the spirit wants to do another, and we're encouraged to walk in the spirit. You know, so there's this battle that goes on. And we're born into this, right? But then you have that drive there, but there's good drives. You know, there's there's certain drives in our life, you know, if you talk about lust of the flesh, there's certain drives that are that are okay and they're good, right? We have hunger, we have thirst, we like rest, right? I like a good nap in the afternoon. I'm showing my age. but you know, Someone told me one time, you know how old you are by how you perceive nap time. <laughs> was like, and I'm starting to realize there's a lot of truth in that statement. Because I, I enjoy a nice nap in the afternoon. So anyways, but, you know, there's also sex you know, within a Christian marriage. You know, there's these drives, right? There's these drives in our lives that are okay, and they're good, and they're natural. But what the world and the, the enemy tries to do, Satan tries to tempt us, to turn these things into something sinful and bad, right? the lust of the flesh, because hunger can turn into gluttony. You, know, you can satisfy your hunger, but you can eat too much. You know? Thirst can turn into drunkenness. Rest can turn into laziness. Right? There's nothing wrong with you know, sleeping at night when you're tired, but you know, if you just don't want to do nothing during the day and you want to lay around and be lazy, that's a sin. You know, Sex, obviously, if it's not within a Christian marriage, it can become sexual immorality. You know, so that's the lust of the flesh, you know, this sinful nature that we wrestle with, this human nature, that Satan comes and tries to tempt us, tempt us to get into these sinful things, you know, and that's why he's saying, that's the lust of the flesh, but there's also the lust of the eyes, which is really the sight and the mind, and it gets in the area of things like covetousness, and, and envy, and jealousies, and, and greed, you know, where you, you see it and you, and you want it, right? And you're looking at it, right? They got that shiny car on the lot. I just got to have it, you know, and the, the lust of the eyes, you know, and the mind. And we need to protect our minds because there's lots of things that come in through our eyes that go into your mind, and they cause all kinds of confusion, all kinds of sinful passions and desires, and the world we live in today, I mean, it's just crazy what, what we put in front of our eyes or the, the ability. To, I mean, you, you never get a break anymore. You know, I mean, I I mean, when I grew up, I had like 3 channels on the television, and when you got bored of that, you clicked it off and you went outside. And that was it. There's no internet, there's no smartphones, there no, no no video games even, you know? I was like I think was, Nintendo was just coming out when I was a kid, you know? Now, I mean, man, everybody's bombarded with everything at all times. Movies, television, internet, YouTube, video games. I mean, people are locked in and have Smartphones, you can't even get away from them. You know, people are walking around just staring at these things, you know? It's, It's just wild. And all kinds of horrible things can come in. You can use these things for good, don't get me wrong. The internet can be used for good. We use the internet, we're using it right now. You can put out there all kinds of good messages. You can get the gospel out there. You can teach out there, right? All kinds of good things, but make no mistake, a lot of evil can be done through the internet and through all these various means as well. And we really need to guard our eyes in the eyes of our children, what they're seeing and what's being brought in, because there's consequences, you know. And there's really no more censorship out there, you know. I mean, it, it, when I was a kid, you know, I used to watch Star Wars, and I never knew that animal in the beginning got all cut up and stuff, you know, because it was like they censored it. I remember the first time I saw some Star Wars movie uncensored, I was like, "What in the world? This is kind of violent." You know, I was like, "I don't remember that part," you know. Uh, and, but that's like all gone. They don't even try to censor anything anymore. You know? I mean, look at Europe. You know? I mean, I remember traveling through Ireland one time. And I was just waiting for my flight. And I picked up a magazine. I was like, well, I'll just look through a magazine. And there was a full page spread of just a fully naked woman right there. And I was like, what in the world is this? I, was like, I started looking at the magazine. And I'm like, what am I looking at? And it was just a normal magazine. They advertise that way. Pornography is everywhere in Europe. We don't realize it in America. But you go traveling through there, Everything's pretty much been disregarded. I mean, they've done away with it all pornography, prostitution, everything is just put out there and fine and open. You know, it's really wild. You know, you really got to be on your guard and you really got to watch what you're putting before your eyes because there are consequences, of what you allow in your mind. And that's what he's talking about the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. And then he goes into the pride of life. He says the pride of life is of this world as well, and it's really just this arrogant, and vain, and, you know, I'm better than you kind of attitude. You're looking down on others, you know. And You know, you can get, people can get lifted up in pride, trying to make a name for themselves. They want to make a legacy. You know, I want to be in the Hall of Fame. You know, like it's going to be there forever. You know, and you see that go on. God says we should be humble. Humility is what God desires in our life. You know, he says to humble yourself in the sight of God, and really when you do consider yourself in relation to God, it's pretty easy to humble yourself. I mean, what do you have that hasn't come from God? Everything, you know. I mean, you look at these star athletes. You know, I did it. Well, where'd you get the body that you did that with? You didn't create that body. God gave you that body. You know, you see scientists. that are like, "Oh yeah, I designed this. Right? I created. You know, I did." Well, where'd you use the mind? Where'd you get the mind that you did use to do all that? You know, everything comes from God. Everything we have. You know, the material. Right? I have this home. I have this car. Well, where did all the atoms come from? The matter that you made all that out of. God made that. God created that from nothing. You know, in the beginning. Right. So what, you know, how can you be lifted up in pride? Everything comes from God, right? Humility is what God desires. And the world is passing away. And he says, if you love the world and are a part of this world, he's like, you're going to pass away with it. But if we hate this world and we love God, then we're going to live forever with him. And that's the message that he's putting out. He says, I know we're in this world. You know, I'm in this world. He's like, you're in this world, but we're not of it. You we're know, We're set apart. Uh, you know, our true citizenship's in heaven, and that's our hope, and that's our future. You know, but while we're here, you know, we're to live for Jesus. We're to do what we can to get the gospel out there, and we're to do what we can to teach the people the truth. You know, in the short time that we're here, and things are wrapping up soon. I mean, I if you're looking at the world, but I'm, I'm looking out at the world, too, and I mean, it looks like it's coming, coming sooner than we think. You know, I mean, I love prophecy conferences. We've gone to a few, and really when you see how things are lining up, it's like, it's pretty amazing. Uh, when you look at it, I'm getting excited. These peace treaties in Israel, that's prophetic stuff right there. You, know, you see how people are lining up out there in the Middle East, you know, picking sides. I mean, I'm watching it. I hope you're watching it. You know, God said to look for these signs, right? When they asked him, when are you coming back? He said, well, these are the signs. You're not going to know the day. No one's going to be able to say, well, it's going to be October 15th, 2023. 20, or something.' You know, no one will be able to know the day, but you'll be able to know the signs. You know, and you can look up and you can say, wow, I'm seeing things, right? And I'm seeing things. You should be seeing things. I'm getting excited, right? Let not your heart be troubled. He told us these things are coming ahead of time. Then we should be excited about that. Because he goes on here in verse 18. He says, little children, it is the last hour. And as you've heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is. The last hour. I mean the apostle John thought it was the last hour. I mean we should definitely think it's the last hour. I mean things going on out there. But the Antichrist is coming. And again, Jesus told us ahead of time so that we wouldn't be troubled. You're not gonna stop it. You're not gonna prevent the Antichrist from coming. He's coming. You know, globalism is all you hear out there right now, right? We gotta unite the world. It's all about globalism, right? World health organizations, world, you know, uh, you name it, right? It's everything it's all about pulling this one world together, and that's prophetic. God told us ahead of time that it's going to end. Everything's going to wrap up with a one-world system headed by the Antichrist with 10 kings, and they're going to make this system where you're either in or you're out. And that's what he's working towards, and they're going to get it. I mean, it's coming. We push back against that evil as long as we can. Don't get me wrong. We vote accordingly. We, we, we stand for what's right. We stand for the truth. We stand for God. And I'm all for that, but don't be mistaken in thinking that you're going to prevent the Antichrist from coming to this world dominated system coming, I mean, it's coming but we do what we can and the world is uniting around really rebellion against God is what you're seeing and that's what the Antichrist stands for you know? and I'm all for unity, they keep saying out there oh we need to be united you know, you know, we need unity, I'm all for unity as long as we're united around Jesus and about what Jesus stands for I mean, if you want to unite around all these other sinful things I can't get united around that, I can't stand behind that but all unite around Jesus. All unite around the sanctity of life and Jesus Christ, is the Son of God. And I'll stand around for all the good things, but I can't unite around the evil. You know, but he also says many antichrists are already here, and that's the truth. I mean, the antichrist isn't on the stage yet. I believe we'll be raptured before we see who he is, and I'm fine with that. I don't need to know who he is. I don't want to be around for that. But many antichrists are already here, and he's really referring to these false teachers or false prophets. That, I mean, basically, if you're against Jesus, you're Antichrist. I mean, it's kind of the simplest way to put it. But there are some that are really against them, where they're leaders of false religions or people proclaiming to be prophets that really aren't. You know, and, um, That goes on out there. In verse 19, he goes on, he says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. You know, So he's saying that way you can identify these Antichrist individuals, whether they're teachers or not or just people that are against jesus is that they're going to leave they're not going to be a part of it he's saying look they were part of the fellowship and then they left (laughs) you know okay well that's pretty clear indication they're not with us you know they're antichrist okay fine that's their choice everyone has a choice and he's saying that's one way you'll be able to identify them and sometimes that's a good thing right if someone's in the fellowship and they're teaching heresies and they're teaching lies they are trying to divide and sway people away sometimes it's a good thing that they They move on. Okay, go move on, you know, and that's all right. So it talks about the scripture, how God will prune. I mean, he'll cut and refine the vine and make the fellowship stronger. So that happens. You know, in verse 20, he goes on, he says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. So he's encouraging us here that this anointing from the Holy One is really the Holy Spirit that we received, which gives us spiritual discernment. So the fact that you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit and I'm indwelled by the Holy Spirit means that we can spiritually discern certain things and understand and identify who is of God and who is not. I'm sure you've been around different settings or different groups or different events and you know someone's saying they're a believer, but you're getting a check in your spirit and you're just like, I don't think they are. <laughs> it's like, you know, and That's that Holy Spirit speaking to you, saying you've got to watch this individual. You've got to watch what they're saying. Or you're maybe watching something on TV you know, you got someone preaching on TV or something saying something, and you're like, that doesn't add up. That doesn't sound right. You know, and that's the Holy Spirit. And you really got to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit speaking to you that way, because he's given you that spiritual discernment for a reason, to help you to avoid certain pitfalls out there. I mean, I remember seeing some stuff on TV, and I'm just like, you know, sounds okay, but that don't sound right. You know, and you're just kind of like, I gotta, I should probably turn this off, you know, and it happens. And he's saying that I'm writing to you, not because you you don't know, Right? He's like, I'm writing to you because you do know, you know, because, uh, because you know that and no lies of the truth, right? So he's saying you have the Holy Spirit, and he'll help you discern these things. In verse 22, he says, who is a liar, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. You know, it's pretty simple. For whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either, and he who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. And so false teachers, this is going to be one of their calling cards, right? They're going to deny that Jesus is the Christ, right? They're going to deny that Jesus is the son of God, the deity of Christ. And many of them out there, you look it out in the world, there's many world religions that deny the deity of Jesus Christ. And we covered this on you know, the midweek as well. Um, Islam is a big one, right? There's many out there that profess to follow Islam. One of their key things is that Jesus is not the son of God. They say he's just a prophet. That's all they hold him to. They, they say, oh, he's a good prophet. We love Jesus, but he's not the son of God. Mormon, same thing. He's just one of many gods. Jehovah's Witnesses is the same thing. He was first creation. He's not the son of God. He was the first creation of God. How do they explain that? I don't know. Buddhists, Hindus, same thing. New Age spiritualists, etc. You go on. A lot of them will say, oh, he's a good teacher. They acknowledge him. They respect him or whatnot. But that's not who he claimed to be. You have to take him at his word and jesus came and said i am the son of god i came to die for the world right he said i was there at the beginning creation came through me i am god in the flesh i am the son of god he doesn't really leave you any other room to get around that but many do deny that he's god and they're the ones that are on that broad road that is talked about those of us who believe in jesus christ as the son of god are on that narrow path so don't be surprised there's more out there denying him than there are believing in him because that's just how it's going to be. And verse 24, he says, Therefore let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. Again, you know, to love one another. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he's promised. It's eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Right? So we're to love one another, and he doesn't want us to be deceived. And who are the deceivers out there? Well, it's these antichrists that he's talking about, the false teachers, the false prophets the world system. They're trying to deceive us. They're trying to get us to believe lies. They're trying to get us to go down the path they're going down. And we don't want to go down that path. The apostle John doesn't want us to go down that path either. Right? And he's saying this is how you can know, right? He's saying, I don't want you to be deceived. He's saying this is how you can know that you're saved, right? And it's kind of what he's been going over. He's like, those who are saved, they're not going to want to sin. They're going to want to keep his commandments. They're going to want to love one another. They're going to want to know the word of God. And they're they're not going to love the world, right? That's what he's been going over. The opposite is true for those that aren't saved, right? If you're not saved, sin's going to abound in your life. You're going to love sin. You're going to hate the laws of God. You're going to hate each other, right, They murder each other. They could care less about the word of God, and they love this world. There are some people out there that really love this world. They will fight for this world, and they will die for this world. I mean, they love it. They love the sin. They love their greed and power and money, and they, they, will, they will cling to it. And they will hold on to it, unfortunately. It's just the reality of it. And he's saying, don't be that. He's like, I don't want you to be deceived. I want you to be saved. I want you to be walking with God. I want you to be living righteously. I want you walking in the light. And that's what the Apostle John is encouraging us here uh, this morning to do. You know, These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. And there are people out there that are going to try to deceive us. And we've got to be on guard from that. And verse 27, and we'll, we'll be wrapping up here on these last couple of verses, he says, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you. And the anointing that we receive from him, he's speaking of, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit indwelling us. That's the anointing that we receive from the Holy Spirit. It abides in you. And you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it taught you, you will abide in him. Now the Holy Spirit is our teacher ultimately. And that's a good thing. You know, even if I wasn't here, or Pastor Cory wasn't here, or any other pastor or teacher, you could still learn the Word of God. The Holy Spirit could teach you. You know, you look at the early church, right? And all these apostles getting saved, and all these disciples getting saved. The Holy Spirit is teaching them and, and ministering to them, you know. And we can as well, we can experience that, right? Don't neglect the Holy Spirit. I mean, when you're reading the scriptures. Don't you me it wrong, it's great to have commentaries and different resources and different you know, references to be able to help you understand and learn and grow. But your ultimate teacher is the Holy Spirit. You know, and as you're reading the scriptures, you should be talking to them, asking them, man, what does this mean, Lord? How, how can I understand that? Or you know, meditating on these you know, certain scriptures. You, know, you can talk with God, you know, teach me, help me to understand, right? The Holy Spirit's in you, just like the Holy Spirit's in me. And it's clear in the scripture, he's our teacher. And we should be drawn upon that resource. We should be like, hey, help me. Illuminate these scriptures. Help me to understand. And the beautiful thing is that he will. He wants you to know. Right? God's not trying to hide any truths from you. He wants you to understand. He wants you to know the word of God. He wants you to learn. It's just a matter of if we're willing to spend the time in his word and prayer and seeking him and talking to, talking to him. Because the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. He's God. And you can talk to him and he'll help you understand. He's the one that wrote the book. You got the author right there with you. And he can teach you. That's a beautiful thing. So verse 28, and we'll end here, he says, And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. So that's a good question. How do you want to be found? How do you want to be found? God can come at any moment. Or you could go to be with him at any moment. I mean, for all I know, I got a clogged artery that could just, you know, seal up on me, and I have a heart attack, and I'm done. Right? I ate too many cheeseburgers, you know, or whatever maybe, you know. <laughs> or I got a, yeah, you know, brain aneurysm or something. You know, what I mean, it can any moment. You know, whether God comes and gets you or, or you go to be with Him, any moment you can go to be with Him. So, are you ready? How do you want to be found? I mean, it's a good question, because when you are in His presence, you know, are you going to be ashamed? That's what He's saying. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. See, when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed. You know, so when we are in his presence, you know, are you going to be proud of what you did? Or are you going to be ashamed of what you did? You know, what did you do with the time that God gave you? We all only have a certain amount of time. We have certain abilities and things. You know, what did you do with it? Right. And that's the good question. So how do you want to be found? How do you want to? When you're in his presence, do you want to be ashamed or do you want to be rejoicing? Hey, I, you know, I did what you called me to do. I finished the race. And he looks at you and says, Well done, good and faithful servant. And I mean, that's what we should be, hopefully, all of us striving towards. And that's what he wants, too. He says, Walk with him. And we should be walking with Jesus and living a righteous life. That's ultimately what our calling is, right? And the time that we have here. So, walk with Jesus. Because we're to obey his word. We're to stay away from sin. We're to love each other. We're to love our brothers. And we're not to love the world. He makes that pretty clear in the scriptures this morning. The darkness is passing away. The true light of Jesus Christ is already shining. And we're to walk in that light until Jesus comes and, and takes us home.